Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. Diffusion has passed the milestone of over a million downloads of 724 episodes since we started podcasting in 2006. And on this edition, hands-on with Google Glass and the final part of my interview with Dr. Nady Brady about Ciguatera and ageing. But first up, here's the news. Clip around your ear. The world has desperately been missing an ear-based computer. So researchers at Hiroshima City University have been developing the poetically named EarClip-type wearable PC. Like Google Glass, it's a complete little computer with all the features of a mobile phone except it has no camera and no screen so there are no privacy issues. The device clips to your earlobe and then curves around the back of your ear before terminating in an earplug in a design inspired by Ikebana flower arrangements. The device takes input from users in the form of facial expressions such as a raised eyebrow, a stuck-out tongue, a wiggle of the nose, or by clenching your teeth. An infrared sensor detects movements inside your ear and translates them into the facial expressions that must have caused them. The researchers call it a third hand because you can operate the device without using your hands and use it to operate other devices, like an iPod. The third hand feature may be useful to people with disabilities or people climbing, driving, piloting, or looking after other people. Other uses include tracking elderly relatives, or as a health monitor. The device's accelerometer can detect when the owner has fallen and phone for help. You could climb a mountain, look at a bright star, and identify the star, even without a camera or display. The EarClip-type wearable PC can measure the angle of your ear to the ground and your location to work out which star you're looking at and whisper the answer in your ear. Hiroshima City University planned to sell the eClip type wearable PC by April 2016. Last week I visited the Wearable Sydney Meetup, hosted by Rob Mansour and Alex Young. Rob and Alex are developing augmented reality applications for Google Glass. They had several Google Glasses at the Meetup and helped everyone try them out. 
the risk in using them, we were warned, was not that they will respond to anyone's voice, and so can be hijacked easily by someone with a loud voice, not that it's too easy to share photos that you didn't intend to share, but a risk of infection, pink eye. Sharing glasses around a room is a pretty new phenomenon, and it comes with this new social disease. Pink eye is a bacterial infection that makes your eye look pink. If you have pink eye, see your doctor. Google Glass is a spectacle frame with no lenses, just a small white box next to your eye. Hidden inside is a microphone and camera, with a computer running the Android operating system. The tiny screen reflects through a prism to your right eye. You move the prism back and forth with your fingers to focus the screen. I was worried about breaking it or getting fingerprints over it. The right side also has an earpiece that hides a bone conduction speaker. Wearing it over glasses was a bad experience, so I'm glad the 2014 models will take prescription lenses. Wearing it without glasses was better, although it was a little tight. I'd hate to mail order an expensive glass and find it was too small for my head, so I hope they'll be sold in optometrists where you can get the right size. You switch it on by tapping the right earpiece. You learn to get used to this gesture because the glass frequently falls into sleep mode to preserve the battery. Then you see the words, OK Glass, and you repeat the words to tell the system you're ready to use it. A menu appears. To scroll through the menu, you need to move your head up and down, which feels intrusive. There's nothing subtle about using Google Glass. You say the menu item to select it, or maybe tap the earpiece. I found it difficult to dismiss the apps I'd summoned. I couldn't see the exit or quick commands. You can just say commands you already know, like OK Glass, take a picture, or OK Glass, record video. I took the glass off at this point to let other people use it, so I could talk with Rob. Watching other people play games on glass was hilarious, because they looked psychotic. They were waving their arms to wipe away things that only they could see, or taking aim and saying bang to shoot things that nobody else could see. It's a logical extension of people walking around talking on hands-free who look no different to the people who talk to voices without the benefit of a phone. I'm told I really missed out by not trying the games, so I'll have to try those at next month's meeting. I found the glass very limited, clunky and non-intuitive. Apparently, there's now an alternative to saying loudly, OK glass, take a picture. You can now just wink. That sounds more like the direction I'd like to see the device develop, even though it increases the creepiness factor. It's not ready for the user in the street yet. It has a lot of design flaws to smooth out, but I'd love to write software for one to make it work the way I think it should. I like the screen to be translucent instead of blocking out some of your vision. However, the fact that it's only over one eye does mean you can look past it. If I was offered one to develop for, I'd grab it, but I'd carry antibacterial wipes for sharing. I woke up Sunday with pink eye. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Audible will sponsor Diffusion for every listener who signs up for their 30-day free trial and downloads a free book 
by going to audibletrial.com science. For good science fiction that describes the way wearable computers will likely evolve, I recommend Rainbow's End by Verna Vinge, where people use contact lenses that overlay graphics on the world around them, and they're the only computer interface you need. Another good one is Existence by David Brin, where one of the characters is a reporter who broadcasts directly from her video glasses. And the classic Charles Stross Man from Manx story, Lobsters, where his glasses contain external mental processing as well as camera and internet, as collected in print in Accelerando. You can download your free book and support Diffusion by signing up for the 30-day trial on audibletrial.com science. After playing with Google Glass at the Wearable Sydney meetup, I spoke with Rob Manson, CEO of BuildAR.com. BuildAR is a system that lets people build augmented reality experiences, such as may be used on Google Glass. I spoke to you about five years ago when you were working on augmented reality, and now you're working with Google Glass and all sorts of apps. Yep. So it's still an extension of exactly that same work. We're developing augmented reality for Google Glass. Really, a lot of the technologies evolved. So when we first met, I think there was down a sculpture by the sea, and we were doing location-based AR. Yes. Since then, a lot of the computer visions evolved. So it's much more been about uh, image tracking. And what we've been trying to do through that time is bring all of that just inside a web browser. So you don't need to download a special app. And it's really this year, in the last couple of months, we've really achieved a lot of that. So now you can really run a lot of those things we were showing back then just inside a web page. And what's the experience like wearing Google Glass? It's really good. So it's a very personal device. It's great for media capture. I think like the camera you're wearing, the first person experience is, is really a key part of the video or the, the media. It's great for capturing and sharing media. So doing these sorts of interviews and stuff, you'll see Robert Scoble, people like that just are milking it for that sort of interview experience. And what we're trying to do is the out of the box experience is very uh, much about media sharing and very much a card based model. We're trying to build richer applications that weave together all sorts of user experiences and really deliver AR. And so you're developing card-based applications for information? We do object recognition or visual search, augmented reality, location-based services. We're trying to use the sensors as much as possible and trying to weave together lots of different interaction models to create coherent use cases, you know, useful throughout the process, not just, I'll just check the time or I'll just take a photo. And about how long are the batteries lasting on your Google Glass? Um, the batteries, sorry? Yeah. You can generally get all day use if it's like a snacking sort of model. If you're doing dedicated recording, it can uh, record video continuously for about 45 minutes. But if you're streaming uh, through the network, especially both directions, then maybe 15 minutes or so. But I think considering the form factor, that's pretty good nowadays. For a pre-1.0 product, I'm surprised how good the battery life is. Is there any sort of earpiece or, or anything like that on the Google Glass? Can you hear it? Yes. It has an induction microphone and an induction speaker. Or it uses the bone in the back of your head. It also comes with the version 2. comes with two attachment stereo headphones that give you quite good audio for output. The recording is quite good, but... Depending on the environment you're in, um, it can be a bit of a, a background flange noise. And so you can use it for making phone calls, all those sorts of things. And how difficult is it to 
actually develop software for this sort of device? I think most of the challenges are around adapting to the new user experience models. Generally, it, there's two, two or three models. So there's the Mirror API, which is a REST-based uh, interface, which is really around making server requests, returning content, which is like the cards. Um, and then the second model is a GDK model. So really, that's just a, a subset of the normal Android interface with a couple of uh, APIs added in around voice recognition and those sorts of things. And then we also try and use our uh, augmented web model, which is consistent across all the different devices we use. So you can launch a web browser full screen and then just develop inside that. So the demo we showed before was just all just running inside a web browser. Amazing. And what sort of applications are, are going to come up next for you? Well, so there's, I forget the number, but there's a, you know, a couple of pages of apps in the glassware store at the moment. There's all sorts of things, you know, word lenses in there, there's running apps and those sorts of things. But again, a lot of those are still, I think, the challenges around the user experience. So with WordLens, I think it's great how the conversion of the language is really, really good. The tracking and the text matching is really, really good. But it makes you stare at a, a piece of text and you have to hold your head still to do the recognition. And then it tracks on that. So if you look away, it disappears. What I really want is to just be able to tap it, take a still image, and then just return the plain text to me. The, the tracking and the font matching is really, really impressive. But from a user's point of view, it's just a pain. Like it, you feel like you can't move your head and it's a bit limiting. You know? What do you think is going to be the killer app that will make everybody need to get one of these? I think there's a couple, but the one that I want most is a, like a personal PVR. At the moment, it's not recording all the time. So you activate it to take a photo or activate it to take a, um, a video. I want it to be running in a loop of uh, recording video. I can discard it, but at any time to be able to go, show me the last 30 seconds, grab the last minute, because you never know what's important until after it's happened with you know things that happen around you. So. Um. And do you have a, a favourite story about things that you've done or things that have happened while you've been wearing a Google Glass? It's very attention-seeking. You have to definitely be in the right mood. Lots of people want to try it on. It's a great way of getting attention to so these sorts of events. You know, it's a, it's a honeypot, that sort of thing. It can really interfere with interpersonal reactions. I think you have to pick your, your the times correctly. But in terms of excellent things... so. Just being able to take a photo with a wink, I think I used that story before. I was driving through Redfern and there's a guy who lives there, apparently everybody knows about it except me, he's got a giant pig. And so I was driving along and I could look to the side and just wink and take a photo of the pig, share it on social media so then everyone could tell me, yeah, oh, obviously. <laughs> so yeah, those sorts of things. I think the serendipity is really good. So yeah. Yeah. And what other wearables are people playing with? There's lots. So uh, we had a list of about 142 of them before. Uh, all sorts of things from fitness to medical to all sorts of things. The Fitbit seems to be the most broadly adopted one we've seen. Jawbone. Uh, depending on your definition, you know, if you go back to a Casio calculator watch and yeah, all sorts of devices. I, I think there's a sort of Cambrian explosion going on around those form factors. The thing that is really not working at the moment is the interaction between them all. They're not seamlessly interacting. So that's the bit that interests us at the moment. Well, can you tell, tell me something about the wearables meetup? Yeah, sure. So it's the first Wednesday of every month. This is the first inaugural one. So hi, welcome everybody. 
Um, and really it's a chance for everyone to get together and talk about the devices they're using, share experiences of what it's been like, uh, people here with the Pebble and the Fitbit and things like that. We're trying to show off these devices, so we're getting a Myo band and a bunch of other ones. Uh, we've got the Oculus Rift we'll bring next time. And really it's just about sharing experiences, talking about ideas that people have got and um, having discussion. And if people wanted to get into this area, what would they have to learn? Depends. So I think it's just like any other form of application development. Uh, you don't necessarily have to focus on hardware, although you know, if you're creating a new device, that's definitely a core requirement. And with Arduino and things like that, you can do rapid prototyping of that anyway. The form factor is not quite the same. Though. I think development languages like you normally would, we like to use open standards-based languages and web-driven languages. So JavaScript, I think, is a lingua franca for a lot of things. But um, Objective-C in Java is definitely useful. So Glass is basically an Android device. And then I think user experience and interaction design is really the key thing that people need to solve. So uh, you definitely don't need to be a, a programmer. You can solve a lot of problems just around the experience. And if people want to look for you online, where do they look? So my Twitter username is Nambor, N-A-M-B-O-R, Robman backwards. And if you look at buildar.com. Well, Rob, thank you very much. Awesome. It was great talking to you. Thanks. That was Rob Manson, CEO of buildar.com designing apps for Google Glass and running the Wearables Sydney meetup at meetup.com slash wearables Sydney. You can see a photo of me balled up with Google Glass, including what looks suspiciously like a death ray over my left ear. Look to diffusionradio.com. And finally, the third and final part of my interview with Dr. Nady Brady, who's studying substances that reverse brain aging and treatments for ciguatera fish poisoning. Ciguatera causes debilitating neurological symptoms in people who've had contaminated tropical fish. The traditional New Caledonian remedy has as its most active ingredient rosmarinic acid. I asked Nady for some general advice on coping with ciguatera, and he answered with general advice. Information given in this show is not medical advice. Always ask your doctor before acting on any medical information. So do you have any advice for that, that minority of ciguatera uh, poisoning sufferers who might be listening but are looking forward to the day when this is on the market? Is there anything they can try now that you'd recommend that might help them while they're waiting? Uh, well, one thing I would recommend, actually, is to change your diet and focus more on natural compounds and particularly diets containing natural phytochemicals. This includes eating lots of fruits and vegetables, since the rosmarinic acid is also present in small amounts in common fruit. And resveratrol, which can also increase NAD, which I think also may have some effect on ciguatera through its antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effect, is present in grape juices and walnuts and all these other products, though, and particularly green tea. Now, though one cup of green tea is not going to be the cure, maintaining a diet with high consumption of fruits and vegetables and green tea is beneficial. And resveratrol is, is something that looks like it could reverse some aspects of aging and slow it down so that'll affect everybody. That's correct which is a positive thing for, for a lot of sufferers with cigarette uh, poisoning and uh, Alzheimer's disease, neurogeneration and uh, actually even cardiovascular disease and cancers because there are some studies that show that resveratrol actually can uh, inhibit or reduce, slow down the proliferation of tumour cells And in addition to green tea it's also in dark chocolate and red wine? That's right, that's right now, uh, this is, uh, it's good you brought up the wine aspect. Guys, have you heard of a uh, French paradox? Basically, the French population have a high consumption of wines, particularly the red wines, yet 
there's very uh, low numbers of uh, French population suffering from neurodegenerative diseases. However, on the negative note, there is a high rate of hep uh, hepatic diseases present in the French population. This is due to the alcohol. On the liver? Yes, which is present inside the wine, which is an alcoholic beverage. So I'm not condoning high consumption of wine. Go for the dark chocolate and the green tea. That's correct. That's correct. And the grape juice. And so what's next for you? You've got ongoing Ciguatera research and ongoing neurotoxin and ageing research. What's coming up next? What we're trying to do is develop a new model for Alzheimer's disease, which is a natural model for Alzheimer's disease. Most uh, models for Alzheimer's disease are uh, transgenic models, which means that they have been uh, genetically modified. However, therefore, these models do not accurately translate to human disease. We have to actually give them human genes to express the formation of plaques and tau phosphorylation. Generally, mice do not do this. We are now collaborating with Professor Nibaldo Nestroza, who was one of the first pioneers to work on cholinergic transmission and show that acetylcholine is dysregulated in Alzheimer's disease. Now, he's identified a naturally occurring mouse, a rodent, called the octodon digu, which is present in the southern highlands of Chile. Now, we are trying to do, we have formed a collaboration with the, the Catholic University of Chile to develop this model as a new model to study Alzheimer's disease. Why is this new rodent important? Basically, it's the only model that generally develops the two main pathological hallmarks, which is amyloid plaque and tau phosphorylation in the mouse with age. Therefore, this is the closest animal that we can use to investigate Alzheimer's disease after the ape. At the same time, it also is the only model to demonstrate cholinergic transmission, apart from humans. Now, the only problem is, of course, quarantine. So generally this is, requires backwards and forth from here to Chile, Santiago and forth. At the, also, we're also working on developing a compound with uh, increased NAD. We're further working on this research. Now this is a competitive field. There are collaborators in Harvard. There are people in Harvard working on this as well for years. And we're generally a small group and based in psychiatry. So we are limited to what we can do, but hopefully we can get there. There is also um, another collaboration with Macquarie University where we're looking at NADs in cancers. Now, in cancer, there is a dysregulation of the kinunin pathway, which is the pathway which breaks down tryptophan, leading to increased excitotoxins such as quinonic acid. And it so happens that NAD is also the final product of this kinunin pathway. However, something is happening in this pathway where there is an increased activation of this pathway so in the tumor itself. Now, the tumor would release some neuroactive metabolites produced by the pathway, such as quinonic acid. Now, quinonic acid so happens okay, to be an NAD receptor agonist. The release of this uh, metabolite can actually destroy through NAD receptor activation primary cells, no primary normal cells surrounding the brain tumor to kill the natural cells and uh, promote the spread of the cancer cells in the brain and also allow the cancer cell to evade immune surveillance. At the same time, this can also lead to uh, increased activation of the pathway can lead to increased NAD, which is very important for the tumor cell. It allows the tumor cell to uh, proliferate much faster than the normal cell. So it's a case where the NAD isn't good for you. That's right. So I wanted to conclude today by saying that environmental toxins, particularly ciguatera toxin, can, is a very important public health concern. And though it affects 50 to only 50 to about 100,000 people worldwide, if we extrapolate these two current global trends, this has a significant potential on the developed countries, particularly Australia. And we need to be aware that these toxins can also lead to damage to tissues, to the whole body, particularly the brain. Now, it's the government's role to initiate 
uh, strategies to manage exposure of these toxins and to uh, help to screen and identify neuroprotective agents that, that can reduce the damage caused by, for example, cigotoxin. Now, its potential, and we have shown this in several research studies, whether it's our group or overseas, to show that these microbial environmental toxins have a strong potential of exerting the same form of neuron damage which is seen in these various uh, neurogenic diseases such as Alzheimer's disease. So there's a relationship between exposure to environmental toxins and the damage caused by these toxins and to the pathologies observed in, uh, for example, Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. So therefore, understanding the modes of action of these toxins is important to further understand the pathologies of other neurogenic diseases. So therefore, it is hoped that researchers such as myself and other researchers can conduct uh, vital research to help us understand our current understanding of the environmental toxins acting upon the human brain function and relate some of this to the context of important neurogenic diseases such as Alzheimer's disease. Well, Dr. Nady Brady, thank you very much. All right, thank you. Thank you, Ian, for this opportunity. That was Dr. Nady Brady, who's a National Health and Medical Research Council postdoctoral early career research fellow based at the Centre for Healthy Brain Aging, or SHEBA, at the Euroa Centre at the Prince of Wales Hospital under the School of Psychiatry in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of New South Wales. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvellous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement, and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Checking production this week was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and 2HHH in Hornsby, Karingai. Diffusion is syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station. You can now hear Diffusion on Stitcher, radio on demand and on the go. Download the free app from stitcher.net and review Diffusion. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Check the website for more information about this week's show and for extra photos of space beer being drunk in zero gravity. You support Diffusion by downloading a free book from Audible. Audible will sponsor Diffusion for everyone who signs up to the free 30-day trial and downloads the free book of their choice from audibletrial.com slash science. That's science with a capital S. 
or look for the donate button on diffusionradio.com to contribute to the costs of producing the podcast. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.